Well, good morning. Hope everybody has had a good week. I know it's been a, a busy week for our family, so it's always nice to slow the pace down. And, and uh, I think, feel, I feel like I'm a little hot. Am I a little hot? Can you turn me? Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I needed that. <laughs> Looking at faith and works today, James chapter 2. If you're a guest, if you're watching online, I invite you to find James in your Bible. We're going to be looking at verses 14 to 26. What you're going to begin to notice is our pace is going to begin to pick up in James. Uh, we, we took James 1 intentionally, very slowly, as James meant for us to take it. But now um, we're going to begin to grab these bigger thoughts. And there's no bigger thought in James than what we're going to look at today. This is the center of James's argument. This is the center of much debate through the years. We're going to look at that today, but let us hear from God's word today. Stand with me. We're just going to be looking at verses 14 to 18. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to read verses 14 to 18, but we're going to look all the way down to verse 26. James chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, and be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your Faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. This is the word of God. Lord, as we come to you today, we ask for your help. Your help in understanding both the truth and the power of Paul's letters, is what he talks about, that we are saved by faith alone. And then we hear James saying that faith is never alone. And so... Lord, help us not only to understand it, but Lord, whether it's those seated here or if those looking at us by way of the internet today, what ultimately matters is are we living or are we dead? Lord, we need the power of your Holy Spirit now. Lord, we feel as believers Oftentimes, as we're looking out at that valley of dry bones and praying, Lord, that you would bring them to life. And so, Lord, we have your word and we have our lives. And this is all we have. And so, Lord, pray that you would bring life today as your word is being proclaimed. We need you, Lord, for ourselves and our growth. And we need you, Lord, for those that we love more than anything else in the world. Lord, may we be the ones to bring the gospel to them. And Lord, trust in your Holy Spirit to bring life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You be seated. So we've been talking about radical faith. We're going to get some new words today. We've been often looking at that radical faith is an authentic faith. We're going to add a new word today, which is living. The authenticity of my faith, here's what James has been getting at, is demonstrated by how I love those around me. The essential evidence of a living faith is demonstrated by 
demonstrating the mercy that we ourselves have received. And so James has been teaching a a few things, and I think you'll remember them. He says that radical faith, if you're taking notes, right, radical faith equals living faith, perseveres through trials. He taught us that in chapter 1. He also taught us in chapter 1 that radical faith seeks wisdom. But then he turns the corner and says that radical faith also embraces the poor and the powerless, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. And we see in chapter 2, verse 5, we looked at it last week, that radical faith rejects prejudice. James is saying, this is is the central point in James, that it is absolutely possible to claim to have faith, but not actually have it. To claim to be a Christian and to not be saved. This is what Jesus said said when he said, you will recognize them by their what? Fruits. So one, one guy said it this way, fruit in our lives is evidence of faith in our hearts. So we're going to try to keep this intention today. So let us look at our main ideas in the top of your notes. Authentic faith, that is radical faith, or as we're going to talk about today, a living faith will be evidenced by biblical fruit, while a counterfeit faith or a dead faith produces a fruitless life. I want us to see three things today. First, the tension. There is a tension between both James and Paul that people get stuck when they come to James. And then James wants us to contrast, a very two simple contrast. So there's only two faiths, a living faith and a, a dead faith. Faith. And then he wants to give us some examples of those, both a living faith and a dead faith. And so let's look first at the tension of James, the tension of James. So throughout church history, whether you're aware of it or not, it's, it's true. And eventually you will run into it as you, as you study the Bible and as you grow. That people get stumped with James. Whether you're Just a person reading your Bible or the greatest theologians have been stuck here. Martin Luther, who I'm going to quote maybe a time or two here, hated James. He hated the book of James. He was fighting Catholicism. He didn't understand James's point. Uh, They get stuck there. So it's important today for us to notice two things about James and Paul, how they use the words they use, and the context, the people that they're pastoring. If you're having a specific problem in the congregation, if we are, and the church down the street is having a different problem, me and that pastor are not going to be talking about the same things in the same way. And so we got to understand that. Let's go back to our root and fruit metaphor. I brought my picture back in that always hangs on my wall as just sort of an illustration. I can use that same picture to help you grow in your spiritual life. That sometimes the bad fruit that we have hanging from our tree or the bad fruit that our children have hanging from their tree is not at the core, down in the dirt of our lives, the core issue. That we must have to get down to the core issue to see any change of actual fruit in our life. But that's not the only way I can use that metaphor. Because the Bible uses it, Jesus uses it, as this is not one tree. That's not the point of the picture. The picture is that this is two trees. 
One tree is healthy and bears fruit. The other tree is not healthy and is dead. One is alive and one is dead. This is a picture of salvation of two kinds of faith, a living faith and a dead faith. You can use the same metaphor for different things. That's what James and Paul is doing. So I want you to find Romans, Romans 3, and I want you to mark it. We're going to come back to this, trying to understand this, this tension. So mark James with hopefully you got one of those little tassels or your notes, and then flip over to Romans 3.28. I want us to read both these together. I want you to see the tension or the struggle people struggle with. Romans 3, verse 28, Paul says this, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Okay, now flip back immediately to James chapter 2 and look at verse 24, his sort of summary of this whole, of his whole section. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. You see it? So flip back again if you need to look at it a couple times. One is justified by faith, faith apart from the works of the law. James says you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. People say this is a contradiction. They, they, got, they need to have a meeting and get on the same page. So let's understand what Paul's going through to start with. Paul's pastoral issue that he's dealing with in the church is legalism. Remember the Judaizers? They said, you, you Gentiles, which is most of us, by the way, you, you want to be a Christian? Okay, you basically got to become a Jew. You need to be circumcised, you need to keep the law, and you need to have faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is dealing with. In order to be saved, you must have faith plus something. So the tension that's dealing with here, with Paul and James, is this. Legalism versus an easy believism. That's what James is fighting. This group of Jewish people that have been scattered out into the pagan world is beginning to compromise and thinks that simply believing the right information equals faith. Here's the question. Which one of these things do we fight today in our culture? Legalism or easy believism? Both. That's why we need Paul and James. <laughs> because we're dealing with both. And listen, the one person you meet on the street may be struggling in one way. Another person struggling in another way. This is why one gospel track doesn't fit all people. You need to internalize the gospel so you can bring the gospel to bear with whoever you find yourself talking to. Look at verse 14, back in James now. What good is it? He's going to say that twice. My brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? So here's what he's saying. A verbal statement of faith alone is not sufficient evidence that true faith has occurred. Only works of obedience prove, give evidence, give credibility that our faith is authentic. You see the word save here? Can that faith save him? What James has in mind there is the final deliverance when we will be delivered from sin, death, and judgment. He's saying, can 
some intellectual faith with, that produces nothing do you any good on that day? And he says, not on your life it won't. It won't do you a bit of good. What good is it? No good. That's what he's saying. It's no good. First, you see, you got to understand, Paul is answering one question, James another. Paul is saying, how do we have peace with the holy God? And he's saying, you must be declared righteous through faith in Jesus Christ alone. James is answering, how does justified people live? He's saying, justified people, people with the right standing for God, demonstrate it by their life. You see that? So if you're taking notes, it's two words. The, the, the difference. A declared righteousness, which is needed for salvation. And the authenticity of that declaration is a demonstration of the reality of who we are. Declaration produces a demonstration. And if there is no demonstration, then the declaration has not happened. You with me? You see that tension? Important. Paul is dealing with one... and. And so they don't use their words the same way. We can look the rest of the message just at words. But let's look at works and justify. First, works. When you think of works for James, think of actions or deeds. Deeds of faith is, is what he has in mind. What he's, what he's thinking there is actions produced by faith. Your faith produces something. And so every time he uses, James uses the word works, he uses it in a positive way. But Paul doesn't always use works in a positive way. You can go back to Romans 3 and see it. Works of the law. What he's dealing with there, you see, is what? Legalism. He's saying, these people are thinking, there's something I need to do so that I can be seen as right before God. Or other, we would say it like this. God is happier with me when I keep this checklist. And if I don't keep this checklist, I just blew it with God today. It's legalism. It's dangerous. I want you to see, <coughs> excuse me, that Paul and James agree. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to do this a couple times just so you see they're, they're not against each other. They're on, they're on the exact same page dealing with two different things. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, look at verse 2. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you. Constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Verse 3, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see that work of faith? He's using that in the exact same way James does. That your faith is producing work, labor, motivated by love that we have for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only do they use works different, they also, also use justified different. If you've got Romans three twenty-eight still marked, look at it. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Now let's put our... Our good definitions in there now. One is declared right before God by faith, apart from the works of the law. Do you see that? That's how that's what James, that's what Paul means. Now look at verse 21. Back in James 2. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son 
Isaac on the altar. And so there you need to see in this word justified, this word credible. Was Abraham our father proven credible? Was he not proven credible when he actually took his only son Isaac, who was given the son of promise, and was ready to offer him? If you go through membership equip at, at Battleground, you're going to hear us use this. Or have you given, we're looking that you have given a credible confession of faith. What do we mean by a credible confession of faith? I mean that what you say and how you live should match. If not, no matter what you say, you have not given a credible confession of faith. And so this is a concern not only for James, it's also a concern for Paul. Just listen to him. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. He's writing this to the church. Test yourself. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Both of them are challenging us to test the authenticity of our faith. So, that's the tension. Now notice the contrast. Look at verse 18. There's two kinds of faith. A living faith that saves and a dead faith that does not save. A living faith that saves. Verse 18. Show me your faith apart from your works. And here it is. Here's what I want you to focus on. And I will show you my faith by my works. Now we could go all into this word faith. He uses this word faith 16 times in James, 11 of them right here in this section. As a, a faith, one type of faith that produces no work and which is living, the other faith produces nothing and is dead, or what we're going to say, counterfeit. What does it involve? It's just as simple as I can explain it to you today. Let me give you three C's because I'm a pastor and i got to have words that, all, that start the same way. I want you to remember it. That's why we do that. We don't do it to try to be clever. First, a living faith involves confession. You know this passage, don't you? Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, declared righteous before God. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. There is a confession. That word means to admit, to acknowledge, to agree. It's verbal. You see that? You confess it with your mouth. There's things going on with the mouth. There's things going on with the heart in that passage. So here's what I want you to see. The other two C's. This is the difference between a living faith and a dead faith is a commitment. And I think you see it right there in Romans 10, 9, and 10. Your confession leads you to a commitment. What is that commitment? That Jesus Christ is Lord. What does that mean? Something we say before we get baptized? No. Lord means master. When we confess he's Lord, he's Lord of Everything. That means everything. So when, when we bow before the king, we are agreeing with his assessment of us. We are agreeing that he is the only means by which we can be saved. And we are committing ourselves to him to let him call the shots in our life 
from now to eternity. This produces works of obedience to the Lord to whom we have committed ourselves. And so, it has a third C to it. Confession brings commitment, and commitment brings commission. John 20, 21. As the Father has sent me, what? So I send you. Jesus said, I have incarnated myself and spent my life with 12 jacked up dudes. And they knew it because he was talking to them. He said, now you go do the same thing. Go incarnate yourself into the lives of other people and show them how to follow me. That is your purpose of life and you have not another. Everything else provides the means, the opportunity to do that. This is a living faith. A faith that has confession, commitment, and commission. This is what James is saying. He's saying a faith that is living looks like something. But a dead faith does what? Nothing. A dead people just lay there. They don't make choices. They don't pursue. They're dead. That's what he's saying. A living faith is contrasted against another kind of faith, a dead faith. And this faith does not save. Now let's get 17 to 19 and put it in context. Put it together. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Another James is speaking to some kind of hypothetical person. And they're saying, I have faith. And James, that's fine for you that you have works. He said, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So, how do we understand this? Well, I think he's getting at two things, and we see it really in verses 19. Two kinds of faith that does not save. An intellectual faith does not save. This is a sobering. But this is James He's writing this to believers for people who profess that have confessed that Jesus is their Savior and their Lord. And he says, listen, an intellectual faith does not save. Matter of fact, this is where we get this word counterfeit. It offers a counterfeit experience. It's, it's a counterfeit for the real thing. This is, the, this is the truth this morning. You can believe, you can quote the Baptist faith and message. You can quote the Apostles' Creed and go straight to hell. That's what he's telling them. It's not my illustration. Look at verse 19. He said, you believe that God is one. You do well. What is you believe that God is one? It's the Shema. It's what all Jewish people said multiple times of the day. It was the Jewish creed of their life. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He said, You believe the Shema? Congratulations. So does the demons. That's what he said. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. He says, Congratulations. Your intellectual belief only qualifies you to be in line with the devil and his demons who believe the same thing. This is why, and if you live long enough on this earth, you're going to run into this. 
Someone could stand in my position and preach sermon for years and then turn around and walk away from the faith. Have you experienced that? People that have said they love the Lord only to turn around and walk away. You can write, preach sermons. You can write blogs. You can go on rants on YouTube and get a following based off all your negative comments about everybody else. And it does not mean one thing as far as a living faith. Intellectual faith is dangerous. He's saying, the demons intellectually believe. Are they saved? Are they saved, the demons? Are they committed? Think about the three C's. Are they committed to the lordship of Christ? Uh, no. Are they, have they embraced a commission to go and proclaim Christ to the nations? No. No. But do they believe? Can they give a good a testimony? Absolutely. Who were the first ones to proclaim who Jesus was? The demons. The demons believe all kinds of things. They believe, in, they believe in the Trinity. They believe in the deity of Christ. They believe that there is an actual heaven and there is an actual hell. They know that Jesus Christ is the only one who can save. They believe he's the judge. Listen to this quote. I fear that countless men and women have bought into the soul-damning idea that mere intellectual assent to the truth of God in Christ is enough to save and the reality is that these people are no better off than the demons themselves. Countless people in King's Mountain and countless people in our families say that they believe, but their lives give testimony that they are dead. And here's what he's saying. That's not one tree. That's two trees. And only one is alive. And the other one is dead. You see, intellectual belief is not sufficient to save and neither is emotionalism. Emotional faith doesn't save. Look at what the demons do. They believe and they shudder. In other words, the demons feel something when God's power and presence is around. The demons respond to the word of God. You remember Jesus being tempted in the wilderness? Demons feel something when God's power. They shudder. They feel something when the truth is proclaimed. But are they saved? And listen, I don't mean anything. I, I love my, my charismatic brothers and sisters, but this is a danger. To give people an emotional experience and say, that was the Holy Spirit. And they may have only experienced that which the demons experience. So what's missing? If intellect is not enough and emotions are not enough. I'm not saying that any of these things are bad, is he? No. They're, they're necessary. They're just not sufficient. What is he saying? That an authentic faith produces an obedient faith. It's what bubbles up and out. You show that your faith is authentic, not by just what you say or by what you feel. A radical faith produces deeds, actions in our life. Why? Now listen, this is important. This is foundational to the Christian faith. 
Because that's what the new covenant says it's going to happen. Remember? Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31. The Spirit of God is going to come. He's going to take out your heart of stone. He's going to replace it with a heart of flesh. And what's that spirit that indwells that thing going to do? It's going to cause you to be obedient. And that's what it does. And God's promises, listen, does not work on some people. It works on everybody. Just like he told Nicodemus, the one of the most religious people in the world, you must be born again. This is the sobering truth of the text this morning. If you do not have a desire to obey God no matter the cost, you are lost. No matter what you believe and no matter how you feel. Both James and your pastor says that because we love you. What do you desire in your inner person greater than anything else in the world? That's who you are. You see, a radical faith involves confession, commitment, commission. A dead faith is dangerous because though it may give you right knowledge and produce a right feeling, it gives you no power over sin and no love for mercy for the broken. That's what James has been all leading, everything he's set up to, to this point. James wants us to get this point this morning. And so he gives us illustrations of the point. So let's go back up to verse 15 and 17 and let's look at the illustration, the example of a dead faith. And by the way, this is not the only example of a dead faith. This is just his because of what he's already said. He's been talking about that true, our true devotion to God is demonstrated by how we love the most powerless in our world, in our community. And so he brings up this illustration, this example. Look at verse 15. If a brother or sister, that's important, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 17 tells us that this is an example of what he's talking about, a dead faith. This is a brother or sister. In other words, this is somebody that goes to church with us. And that at least a few people in church, and maybe only one, actually know that this person is on the verge of being destitute. That means they're... They might already be living in their car, but they're about to be. And they have the means to do something about it. Listen to 1 John chapter 3. This is the New Living Translation. Sometimes I just really love this translation. It's really good for you who want to know how to study. Read the New Living Translation along with your other translation. It'll help you. It'll help you. Listen to this. 1 John 3 verse 17. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother and sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. I love that. See, John's saying the same thing James is saying, the same things Paul says. That this is what the normal Christian life does because this is what the Holy Spirit produces in here. 
But what happens? That's what he's saying. The Spirit of God's producing things, or there's no Spirit of God, and it's not producing something. And here's what this, this person says, this church member. Good luck. Oh, this one's a good one. Be blessed. I'm praying for you. What does he say? What good is that? That's what he's saying. What good is it? You could say it this way. You might as well just shut up. Because you've got the means to help somebody. The problem is not whether you help them or not. The problem is you don't have the desire to help them. You see the point? Don't miss that. James is not giving you a checklist. <laughs> He's not trying. Then you've got to go back to Paul, right? He's saying there are just and unjust And if your faith is not producing mercy, then you do not fit with the just. And if you don't fit with the just, who do you fit with? The unjust. You see? Listen to this. Matthew chapter 11. The most religious people in that day, you know, gave Jesus a royal fit. Listen what Jesus said. He said, Matthew 11, verse 19. Let's start with verse 18. Matthew 11, verse 18. For John, he's talking about John the Baptist, came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Listen to what Jesus says. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. You see that? He's... James is simply teaching what Jesus taught him. Wisdom is, he's sitting there going, you can say what you want to about John the Baptist, but his life speaks for itself. You can say what you want to about Jesus Christ, but his life bears testimony, renders what he says about himself credible. And listen, here's James's point. So does yours. So does yours. So this is a contrast of a dead faith. But praise the Lord, he doesn't end us there. He gives us these contrasting examples of a living faith. The first is Abraham. Look at verse 21. Was not Abraham, our father, justified his testimony, his faith rendered credible by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Verse 22. You see that a faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. And he was called a friend of God. Here's what he's saying. There's two realities in Abraham's life that everybody could see. Abraham had a work in faith. And Abraham was a friend of God. I pray that they could say that about us, right? That my faith is a faith that works. And man, that dude loves his Lord. I mean, they're, they're friends. Make no mistake, Genesis 15 says God made a promise to Abraham and Abraham believed. That was it. He was declared right, right there before God. Plus nothing. But then what does God do? 
gives him a son he's waited on forever and says, that son, that particular son is going to be the way my promise is fulfilled in your life. By the way, I want you to get up in the morning. I want you to go up on a mountain and I want you to put a knife in him. What did Abraham do? He obeyed. You see, that's his point. Luther said, we are saved by faith alone. Faith's never alone. It's not alone. James is arguing that, his, that Abraham's willingness to kill his only promised son was, proved his faith was credible. It was in God alone. And he trusted him. It was an active friendship, which meant he had a deep, trusting relationship between God and himself. And it brought him to listen. Look at his life. Not perfection, but a committed life on a mission that God has given him. So, think about this. Whether you're a Jew or Christian or a Muslim, everybody loves Abraham. They all track their origins to this father. And so, to give a contrast of what a living faith looks like, he brings up Rahab the prostitute. Rahab the prostitute. This is growth group. There's a sermon right here. I'm just going to leave this for growth group. I hope you're part of growth group. Verse 25 of James 2 says this, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messenger and sent them by another way. Hebrews 11.31 says this about Rahab. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, Because she had given friendly welcome to the spies. Just two things I want you to see about Rahab. She believed in Israel's God and she risked everything because of that belief. You see it? So what his point is, she believed in Israel's God, but she staked her life and her family's life on that faith. And I tell you, what would it cost her if she would have been discovered? Everything. She had a faith that worked. This is the contrast. Your living faith is not dictated by your past. Amen? By the scars that we have. Rahab's scars of prostitution was a testimony to the grace of God the rest of her life. For she lived it with the people of God. Read the text. It's a testimony. Your past does not confine you nor define you. Your faith in Christ does. It produces your destiny for the future because from now on, what He says we are going to obey and where He says we're going to go, and if He says not to go, we're not moving. People who knew their Lord believed that way. Remember Moses And so he gets to the end of this thing, and he says, verse 24, You see? Understand the contrast. I've given you the examples. You see that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. Verse 26, for apart, for the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith from works is dead. And ironically, I want to, Move to the application. 
by quoting the guy who didn't like James. Luther, Martin Luther said this. He was actually commenting on Romans. But listen to what he says. Oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing things incessantly. It does not ask whether good works are to be done, but before the question is asked, it has already done this and is constantly doing them. Whoever does not do such works, however, is an unbeliever. He gropes, gropes and looks around for faith and good works, but neither knows what faith is nor what good works are. Yet he talks and talks with many words about faith and good works. So what? It's one of the most powerful questions a pastor ever asked me. How do you know you believe? I've given you three ways to test yourself this morning. Have you given a confession? Have you made a commitment? And have you embraced a commission? There's three other demonstrations I would like to leave you with this morning. The first is a living faith, is a deep faith. If you want to, you can turn to Hebrews, or you can just listen. Hebrews 11 and verse 8 says this about our example today. By faith, Abraham, looking at verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went out to live in the land of promise as in a... As in a foreign land, he lived in tents with Isaac and Jacob and heirs to the same promise. Listen to verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Living faith is a deep faith. It obeys God in the short term when we can't see what he's doing. Why? Because he's given us a long-term promise. And he will never fail. It's a lot of hard between that final promise and where we stand right now, isn't there? You need a deep faith, a deep trust in God that will go where He tells you to go and do what He tells you to do, even if nobody else understands it. But our faith is also a practical faith. Just listen to this. Jesus. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. In other words, don't overthink this, Stephen. <laughs> don't overthink this. He preached the gospel and he helped people, loved people, proclaimed the gospel. Can you share the gospel with somebody? If not, I would challenge you, you can even do it right now. You can pick up your phone and go to the app store. Type in three circles. It's a simple app that helps you share the gospel. Look at it today. You can write it on a napkin and share the gospel with somebody. Be ready to share the gospel and be ready to share your life. just want to close you with this. A living faith is a persevering faith. And so let us be encouraged today in Romans 12 and verse 9 that says, Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard 
and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Why, you say? Because of what our Lord has done for us. He puts inside of you a desire for these things. And when you do them, you feel His glory. So, brothers and sisters, let us live out our living faith. And if you have no desire today, I'm going to be right there. Don't leave this place without dealing with this. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we come to you in whom we have not only placed our faith, but have reoriented our whole life around your Son. Unashamedly, unapologetically. All that we could all say today, we are not ashamed of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And our life bears evidence to that truth. And so, Lord, today, give a hug where they need to have a hug, Lord. Affirm what needs to be affirmed. Convict what needs to be convicted, for it is all out of love that your Spirit does these things in our life. Lord, we come to the tables now to remember, to receive from your bounty, your grace, to remember the life, death, resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who showed His great mercy when He chose hell-bound sinners and made them children of God. We remember one day, it was with Abraham, that there is a city whose founder and builder is God, and that is our destination. And we look forward to that day. We remember that. And we offer ourselves, our giving, our worship, our prayer time in just a minute, and our sending to you in Jesus' name. Amen.